Open up that crystal Pepsi and get comfortable. This is Dope Nostalgia. very special episode coming up today. We're talking about not just one, but two bands who were absolutely massive. And I'm going to use the word massive because it's a very British thing to do. The battle of Brit pop between Blur and Oasis that happened in 1995. We're going to get into it. And guys, make sure you give us a call and tell us who's the better band. Who do you guys like better, Blur or Oasis? You can give us a call at the hotline number. Oh, what is the hotline number? Jeez. It's not even like right off the tip of my tongue, but we're still waiting for your calls because we want to share some of them on the show. Okay. So call us on the hotline. Before I give you that number, I want to tell you Ainsley's going to be here. Ainsley, he's in two different podcasts, Reject and Serve podcast, as well as Price Tag podcast, which I'm going to be a guest on coming up pretty soon on the Price Tag podcast sometime late this spring. So I'll be sharing that with you guys when that happens. Ainsley was there during the Battle of the Britpop, so he has lots of stories and observations from the day. Now, once again, the phone number to call us is 780-851-8785. Leave us a voice message and let us know who's better, Blur or Oasis, and why you love them or hate them. Just give us a call and let us know. But before we get into the whole battle... Let's have a little bit of a news break, okay? Hot off the presses? You gotta adjust those rabbit ears. You got that antenna pulled up? It's time for some dope nostalgia news. We got a news item here for you that is really, really exciting for me as a New Kids on the Block fan. We are putting together along with a bunch of other New Kids on the Block content creators. We're talking about nine or 10 different groups here who have gathered together to put on a big event for the community. The New Kids fans, April 10th, it's a Saturday afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern time. We're getting together for a block party, online Zoom party with all the New Kids fans. And you can get an invite yourself. All you have to do is go to N-K-O-T-B-L-O-C-K a-C-T-I-O-N. That's N-K-O-T-B block action. But there's only one B in it. But search it. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. And subscribe. And then email us at N-K-O-T-B-L-O-C-K-A-C-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. And you can get an invite to the Zoom party. It's going to be quite an event. So check it out. I got the coolest care package in the mail today. Speaking of new kids on the block, it's called Donnie is the Talented Wahlberg, and it's a fantastic New England IPA, double IPA, okay, from Printer's Ale Brewery in Georgia, USA. Now, you might have seen it on Donnie Wahlberg's Instagram channel recently where he actually was sampling the beer and telling us how good it is. So I got in touch with those guys over at the uh, brewery at Printer's Ale, and not only did they send me this lovely care package uh, with some samples of the beer, but I said, oh, damn, this is so good. We're going to do some videos for you guys. So the first time we open those beers, my buddy James P. White and I are going to do a nice video for you guys so you can see the labeling and their t-shirts and everything that is amazing about Printer's Ale. Okay. Now, about the beer. 
not only is it a double New England IPA, but this style is all juicy without any of the bitterness you would find in your typical IPA, which is a big deal to me because I hate bitter beer. And I can't wait to try it. The New England style is hazy and not clear like other beers are. The New England hazy style is very popular right now, and we would consider this a hype beer. So they dry hop with loads and loads of hops, which basically means you get all the aroma with no bitterness. As for the double part, well, that just means it's higher alcohol content than a New England IPA. So check out Printer's Ale. You can find them on Instagram, Twitter, and your other social media. Get one of their beers today. They've just done a whole new huge batch of this beer. And once again, it's called Donnie is the Talented Wahlberg. Wikipedia Moment. A chart battle between Blur and Oasis, dubbed the Battle of Britpop, brought Britpop to the forefront of the British press in 1995. The bands had initially praised each other, but over the course of the year, antagonisms between the two increased. Spurred on by the media, they became engaged in what the NME dubbed on the cover of its August 12th issue, the British Heavyweight Championship, with the pending release of Blur's single Country House and Oasis's role with it on the same day. The battle pitted the two bands against each other, with the conflict as much about British class and regional divisions as it was about music. Oasis were taken as representing the north of England, while Blur represented the south. The event caught the public's imagination and gained mass media attention in national newspapers, tabloids, and television news. NME wrote about the phenomenon. Yes, in a week where news leaked that Saddam Hussein was preparing nuclear weapons, everyday folks were still getting slaughtered in Bosnia, and Mike Tyson was making his comeback, tabloids and broadsheets alike went Britpop crazy. Billed as the greatest pop rivalry since the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, it was spurred on by jibes thrown back and forth between the two groups, with Oasis dismissing Blur as Chaz and Dave chimney sweet music, while Blur referred to their opponents as Oasis Quo. In what was the best week for UK singles sales in a decade, on the 20th of August, Blur's Country House sold 274,000 copies to Oasis's role with its 216,000, the songs charting at number one and number two respectively. Blur performed their chart-topping single on the BBC's Top of the Pops, with the band's bassist Alec James wearing an Oasis t-shirt. However, in the long run, Oasis became more commercially successful than Blur at home and abroad. In a 2019 interview, Oasis band leader Noel Gallagher reflected on the chart battle between the two songs both of which he saw as shit and suggested that a chart race between Oasis's Cigarettes and Alcohol and Blur's Girls and Boys would have had greater merit. He also noted that he and Blur frontman Damon Albarn, with whom Gallagher had enjoyed multiple musical collaborations during the 2010s, were now friends. Both men have noted that they do not discuss their 1990s rivalry, with Albarn adding, I value my friendship with Noel because he is one of the only people who went through what I did in the 90s. Welcome Ainsley to the show to talk about the rivalry and the battle of Britpop. I want to welcome you to Dope Nostalgia, Ainsley. Uh, uh, you are already a podcast host. Now, tell everybody about the podcast that you run, Price Tag Pod. Yeah, I've done, are you looking at the new logo now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it looks good. I actually, uh, so I was posting on Reddit. Um, and I posted a logo that I did and it took like 45 minutes and I'm not a guy that can do logos and mm -hmm. the internet just shit all over my logo. They were like, this is terrible. You can't, 
you can't have this. And I was like, well, I, I can't pay anyone. I have no money coming in. And so I was <laughs> like, they, they were like, look, I did this in an hour. Just fucking take this, throw yours away. And this is what I have. <laughs> it it's, made- you know what? It's good. It, it gets the point across and it's simple and it catches the eye. That's what you need. Yeah. Not overcomplicated, right? Yeah, it's beyond me. This kind of graphic design is not my thing. <laughs> um, but the thing is, that, like, I've been podcasting now for about just over two years. Um, my first podcast, which is Reject and Serve, is like a bartending slash best friends podcast. Oh, nice. Um, this is my first with some sort of this new project, which I'm doing now in April, which is Price Tag Pod, um, is my first podcast, which actually has like a point, you know? <laughs> yeah, I understand. Um, I feel I, like I'm, just having a little point. I, I, I understand, like, like, I participate in two podcasts myself, and um, the, the other one that I'm on, it's called L2L. When we first started doing that, it, it was just friends having chat, you know? There was really no direction. It just kind of whatever came up, came up. So is that kind of how the um, the first podcast is for you? Pretty much. Um, I think that's where most podcasters just start. They just hang out with their best friend and record the conversation, and that's yeah. kind of how it's been. And then me and him were like, well, we focus mainly on bartending. Let's kind of have a genre and a niche. So we did that. But I mean, now COVID's here. Like we haven't worked in a bar for over like three or four months. So both yeah. me and him are like, what do we do now? Like, do we change the whole point? Do we throw away the bartending thing? Do we stop? Mm-hmm. So that's in kind of in the air right now. I'm talking with him earlier today. So we're just going to like meet up and record and see what comes out. But it's like, at least with this method, which is, I'll explain price tag pod anyway. So we ask 11 questions from like, uh, $25 to quarter of a million and we give people like like a set goal like for example um, for a year you stub your toe against a against your bed for um, every week for a year Ooh. and we'd offer you like a thousand dollars and then you would have to be like I wouldn't do that for a thousand I want like at least five and then we would banter and uh, negotiate down it's basically that and then at the end of the show we calculate all of the question totals and then just basically the price of your dignity that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I just wanted a format that's like, that's never going to change. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a pandemic or not, or what's happening in the world. It could always mm-hmm. happen, you know? And game shows are fun. <laughs> so we can find, we can find both podcasts out there in the uh, podcast world. Are they out there on Spotify? Price Tag Pod is going to be released in April. We have two pilots right now. Um, if you just type in Price Tag Pod into, into Google, you'll probably find a red circle. And we also have a website. Um, but I'm not releasing to director until April 2nd. Um, so basically we'll be on, I think it's on like Apple podcasts and maybe iTunes. I'm not sure, but the reject and serve is on like every platform. Perfect. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, you're definitely sharing the show with everybody um, on your, on our social media and whatnot. Uh, the other question I want before we start to ask you is where are you located in the world? I'm in Stockholm. In Sweden. Mm. Perfect. Okay. So are you originally from the UK? How did you know? I don't know. <laughs> this is the Brit right? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I th- I'm sure you already know I'm in Canada. Yes, I know Canada. I've spoken with at least four or five different people in Canada. I just oh, assume that everyone knows each other. <laughs> it's like, but it's not. Canada's huge. We're so spread out though. Very yeah, spread you are. out. But apparently not spread out enough to not contract COVID, but still. Your president, prime minister has uh, contracted COVID, right? His wife did. Yeah. Yes. Justin Trudeau's wife did, but apparently he never did. Oh, that says a little bit more about the relationship than maybe they want to let, let go. <laughs> I 
I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And that was really early on in the pandemic too. That was like back in March, I think March or April when, when his wife contracted it. So I don't, I don't really know what's been happening with that. Our country's been handling the relief um, from not being able to work pretty well, I would say. Um, and since you're a bartender, you understand the whole thing about being out of work in the service industry right now. That's what, what I was doing before Mar when in March. I worked as a server and then everything shut down. Yeah, it is horrible. <laughs> All right, well, Ainsley is here today to discuss the battle of Britpop with me. Blur versus Oasis uh, is something I knew about when it was happening, but I didn't know to the extreme that it was. I mean, I think being in Canada, we would get some of the uh, the news of what was going on, but not like you would have it actually in the UK to start things off. It was billed as the greatest pop rivalry since the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Yeah, it's like after like 50 or 60 years, they, they've never had such a battle compared in comparison. But the difference is the Beatles and Rolling Stones never released music within the same month or even the same week. Mm. They respected each other's labels enough to be like, okay, let's we can have August, you can have September and April, and, but not not this case. This is the first time they ever released two singles at the same time to see who would top the pops and um, blur one. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So going back to that, 1995 is when this occurred, um, and I had really welcomed Britpop at the time over other forms of rock because grunge was going on still a bit and I really missed pop music at that time so it kind of gave me that melody back again I was into that Blur was so creative with their writing as well I mean I find Oasis to be extremely Beatles influenced um, when it brings back that kind of nostalgia of, of the Beatles which I think more people kind of understood but Blur have this really interesting melodic rhythm that I just love and every song sounds so different than and, and unique i find yeah. I, I mean i love oasis all their songs are just like you can put an album on in a bar and everyone knows pretty much every song you know they're just kind of knockouts but blur just have this certain creativity creativity i mean even the lead singer um i've already forgotten his name jesus damon Albarn. D damon album you know he went on to do the gorillas absolutely yeah i didn't know that till i found out like the past few weeks i had no yeah. idea it was the guy i love the gorillas <laughs> he's the gorillas yes and I think that I don't know if there's been much activity from Blur or the Gorillas in the last five, say five years. I think, you know, I haven't really followed what's been going on. So I know the Gorillas <laughs> did come back in the past five years, but I don't remember when. I think they had like an album or talk or boomerang. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But the, the funny part is after the Battle of the um, Battle of Britpop in 1995, in 2005, um, Gorillas were in the charts against Oasis. <laughs> yeah. They just felt like it's just, they never stop competing. Like Damon has this kind of like chip on his shoulder. It's really funny. <laughs> I think it's a healthy competition now. It might not have been at the time though. Well, there was, um, there was a clip of um, Top of the Pops. I think it was the, I think it was a lead singer from Pulp or Suede who was like announcing it. And he was saying the Battle of Prip Pop has been like, been looked over so many times and people are like examining it but at least you get the best bands out of this you know you guys get good music and he's right it was a good time competition can breed better music that is for sure um, yeah. but uh so 
Do you think there was true animosity between the two groups or do you think it was staged in a way? I mean, Oasis, their background, they're extremely working class guys. They actually did work in construction before they were a band. So they have that. And considering like, if you take it from like a political sense, as soon as the 90s hit in the UK, Margaret Thatcher was out of office and she was in office for 10 years. And her economic policy was basically let's let's strangle the North until we get as much money from the Northerners as we can, you know, let's restrict wow. spending. So you had, that was when I think, I mean, during the eighties, was that like Sex Pistols era? I don't, I don't know exactly dates and stuff, but a lot of amazing punk came out of England in the eighties because of such like animosity politically. So then and when- And that's where the anarchy in the UK is kind of- Exactly, it was all, of? all about Thatcher, yeah. And I think the Ramones as well, everything was just, I don't know so much the difference between like 70s and 80s punk. I wasn't there. Um, but I know that uh, Margaret Thatcher's policies and, and um, her, her governing kind of started a lot of punk movements like fuck the system, fuck the queen, fuck everything. And then when she left in the 90s, there was kind of this, we didn't really know what to do because I mean, you had grunge going on. I think in 1992, Nevermind came out, which kind of blew open that whole scene. Um, and we were kind of looking for a new identity because we had nothing to fight back for anymore because she's gone. So a lot of them, a lot of people went more patriotic and was like, oh, we're British. We made it through such a horrible regime from this from this lady and we're aware of through the other side. And that's when English people started getting a bit more like patriotic. And I think that's where Britpop came into play. Mm-hmm. Um, but Oasis have always been singing. This is the difference between Blown Oasis from what I get is Oasis sing um, for the working man and Blur sing about them as a documentary. Interesting. I'm glad you put it that way. If you listen to Country House by Blur, mm, they're singing, ab- yeah, it's so cool, but they're, they're singing about, they're singing in like second and third person, whereas Oasis tend to always sing in first. So it's more of a story being told by Blur. Yeah, most of the songs are like that actually, when I, when I digest it. Now, when this original battle happened and the two singles were released on the same day, the two singles were Blur's Country House and Oasis Roll With It. Yeah. So the two were pitted together against each other by the media. And I honestly think that probably did more sales for both of them than anything. For the singles, um, so Blur won the battle of Britpop essentially because they sold the most singles. But then when you went on to album sales, I think Blur made about between a million and two million album sales in that year. But by the end of 2008, I think Oasis sold 22 million albums or something like this. Yep. So Oasis actually won the war. It was hugely, yes. Yeah, big time. Um, on, I think more on an international scale too. I think that that album really caught on and resonated with people. Um, so the single Country House sold 274 4,000 copies and Roll With It by Oasis was 216,000. So it was just barely. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't by a lot. I heard loads of um, comments made by even Nola Liam that was saying, well, they, their song was released cheaper, for example. And um, there was also some confusion with downloading um, Oasis's track, I think. And it was, it was more expensive. It was also a B-side. So they put all of that in and said, like, realistically, there wasn't a fair competition really but it's hard to say really i would say those two songs when you look at the catalogs of both bands are not their strongest singles they both said they were shit 
like both Damon and Liam have gone on record saying they were, they were shit songs. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it was in a 2019 interview where uh, Noel uh, reflected on that whole thing, saying it was they were crappy songs, and he suggested that a chart race between cigarettes and alcohol, their song, yeah. and Blur's "Girls and Boys" would have been a great of mer- of greater merit. Absolutely, "Girls and Boys" is a great song. It's so disco. It's amazing. <laughs> it was incredibly catchy. Yeah. I think that was the first song of theirs that made it, uh, Blur's, that made it internationally. I thought that was song too. That we heard on this side of the pond, right? sure about their background in the states um i interestingly i know that like in the early 90s when blur were kind of forming and starting they kind of hit america right after the first album release they were like i think i read like sixty thousand um, pounds or dollars in debt and they were trying to tour around the states to get the funding and money back and then when they came back over to the uk when Britpop was building and then their sound fit in much better because they were kind of a shoegaze band at the beginning Whereas Oasis kind of did the reverse. They've been building a following in the UK mm-hmm. and then they went to the States afterwards. Ah, I see. So they kind of went the other way around. I can't really speak for how things went down in the US, but from Canada's point of view, usually what tends to happen is Canada is usually faster to embrace music from different countries, I think, than, than I, I think, especially from other Commonwealth countries we're more likely to get on board with it first. But at the same time, we also have such a lower population that your our our album sales here aren't going to be as massive as they would be if you, you hit the US, right? Yeah, I think there's, there's a, a big buildup in the UK for like, we need to make it big in America. It's like this big obsession, you know? We have but the I same think, thing here. Yeah. Everybody trying to make it big in America. But it, it seems that Oasis played the smarter move and built a local following and then went onwards. I think that's the healthiest way to go. Absolutely. I mean, Oasis clearly won in the end because they sold so many more albums and I assume they're bigger on that side yeah. than Blur. I, don't, I can't imagine that everyone knows who Blur is. I absolutely think Oasis was the bigger band internationally because um, we're still, people are still singing their songs that are karaoke here. <laughs> yeah, same in Sweden. Yeah. Um, and it, Obviously, like internationally, Wonderwall is the biggest track and most well-known track by Oasis. But the funny thing about that song is that song kind of bores me. 
pretty dull. Yeah, it's such, so it's vanilla not and just nothing going on. Not to be negative, but they have such better tracks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I actually was introduced to Don't Look Back in Anger like maybe five years ago, which is quite late for me because I was into Oasis before then. Mm-hmm. I'd heard everything else before. I think Champagne Supernova kicks ass as well. There's so many good Oasis tracks. Yeah. Especially now listening to, listening to them for the past two weeks, really picking up more. I didn't even know it was theirs. <laughs> the story of the brothers Gallagher was something that caught so many headlines and attention over the last years that I think that kind of drove the, uh, the interest in them as well, because as soon as they were falling out and fighting and arguing and, and he said this and he said that all the time, people were kind of like watching from that too. Yeah, I mean, that always happens in certain bands. I mean, Nirvana definitely got famous on the credit for the fact that they're an amazing band and had this amazing fusion of music. But it was also a lot of the people were obsessed with Kurt Cobain and how he was thinking and what he was doing and behaving and stuff. I mean, there's a lot of tabloids in the early 90s about his behaviors and such. I think people just like a little bit of backstory as well, you know. that were happening during that battle was oasis was dismissing blur as now i don't understand this reference Chaz and dave chimney sweep music <laughs> while blur referred to the uh, oasis as oasis quo is that a play on static status quo i think so yeah and so i don't really know either act <laughs> okay you don't know Chaz and dave okay no no tell that's me about Chaz and dave. that's it's- a very funny reference um, they did loads of cheesy, I mean, the thing is, it's a territorial battle because, um, Blur were very much London based kind of posh boys, probably if you were to put them towards a political party, they said they were labor, but they could have easily been a conservative band. They were like very art schoolsy, dressed in a fancy way, pretty boys. Whereas Oasis have always been hardcore, tough lads from the North that have a working class feel, which is why they write in first person because they were construction workers, you know? Whereas they, I think Oasis were a bit more offended at the fact that all these pretty London boy people sing about the working class, but aren't actually living the lives themselves. You know, they're, they're kind of idolizing, they're kind of fetishizing the working class and singing about it. And it still happens to this day. There's a lot of people doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what they were saying. Because um, Chaz and Dave are Cockneys, they are Londoners, um, much older than Blur. I mean, they, I don't know any tracks they've done. Um, I can't even attempt to sing them because they're just silly. It's just a silly Cockney <laughs> two-piece band that were famous for a short period. Okay. Um, status quo, they're just four-chord blues rock from what I know. 
stuff that your dad listens to. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what they were going for. Like, yeah, they're just the same old run of the mill four chord rock band, really. What's so exciting? I think that's what Blur were trying to think. Introduce a band like Pulp into the mix. Yeah. Now, we didn't get a lot about Pulp here. I think Common People was the only song that really made any impact on this side of of the ocean. But um, somebody like Jarvis Cocker and and was do you think they kind of mixed into that battle a bit too, or do you think that there was any relation there with Pulp? Possibly. I mean, you had Suede at the beginning. They supposedly it went from very quickly from shoegaze into this new style called Britpop. Um, and kind of swayed, hit that off. But Pulp, I don't know too much. And I know literally the same as you, Common People. But the yeah. sad part is that was released in 1995 too. So that year had all these incredible um, songs. So Pulp didn't really get the, the fame they really deserved. They didn't even get like any awards for that because you had Blown Oasis. But again, Common People is uh, a London... I mean, they, Pulp are basically London-based because you can hear it in Common People. They're, again, they're singing about Common People. They're not singing they in first person, you know? Exactly. So I think that that year was just huge for singing about poor people, but not being poor yourself. <laughs> uh, that, I don't know much about pop, actually. I just know that song, and it's huge in Europe. They toured for, for years on that one song. It blew, if... blew up overnight as well. I'm trying to think if we have the same kind of phenomenon here in North America about singing about classes of people. Eh, somewhat, I would say. But uh, no, that's definitely not something I'd ever thought about before. So thank you for bringing that, like the differences between like obviously the North and the South Mm. um, and what that meant to the music. When you say the genre shoegaze, I've always wondered what shoegaze actually meant. Yeah, me too, until I looked it up a little bit. But I understand after reading it because shoegaze literally means gazing at your shoes <laughs> you're just like no. looking down at your feet bopping away to this, this yeah season. i mean the the guitars tend to just be like fuzzy and distorted and the vocals kind of play them more of a melodic line than anything lyrically it was like this weird fuzz it, mm. it's hard to really pin down how to explain it i'm sure there's like loads of really good um yeah. quotes about it i haven't written any down but it's very much just melancholy um, to me, boring, bland, like fuzzy, no much direction in the air. There's barely any recognition between verse and chorus. It's just noise. Oh. Okay. I was about to maybe possibly compare it to Smashing Pumpkins until you said that there's not really a differentiation or melody or anything to it, because I wouldn't say that about Smashing Pumpkins. They definitely have melody and direction in their songs and, and format. Yeah. Um, but when you say fuzzy and all that, I'm like, that's a great word to describe, to describe a sound. And what a strange and interesting genre. Yeah, I don't know for how long it was going on for. I think there's, I mean, from where I'm from in the Southwest of the UK, we had a lot of shoegaze bands too, mm-hmm. um, recently more so, which is strange because I don't understand how that kind of music would influence anyone nowadays. It seemed to be like very of its time. Um, Mm-hmm. I can't even name any like shoegaze bands, really. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some cool documentaries on those kind of things. And I mean, I guess it was just to fill the gap between the 80s and the 90s. 
is kind of like psychedelic with fuzz. I think that's a good explanation for it. After these messages, we'll be right back. Yeah. Tonight, from wherever in the world you are listening, give a big hand for your host, from Price Tag Pod, and I'm so excited to be a part of the Dope Nostalgia Podcast. Price Tag Pod is a new cheesy game show podcast due to release on April 2nd. Price Tag Pod attempts to put a price tag on your dignity, and to do this, the show breaks down into three easy parts. First, we ask our guests 11 uniquely ridiculous questions. 376 pounds. Uh, you have edible glitter in all of your drinks for life. Oh, no. who, who would agree to that? No, never. $500, Tim. Oh, $500. For the whole of next year, you have to have a mullet and a mustache. Ooh. $100. Would you drink from your best friend's toilet bowl? Oh. Next, we negotiate a price. £110. Oh, I think it's definitely worth more. How much you got, pal? Give me, give me a number. Let's do two hours of your pay then. Let's do $22. $2201. I'll take 2201 Alright, we'll do 2201 You just want a weird number, right? Then at the end of the show, we calculate the total. $370,784.95. You were worth $395,717. Nice. That's like almost a two-bedroom condo where I live. And that's it. We have fun, the guests have fun, and we see how cheap or expensive people's self-worth really is. To follow the show, just type price tag pod into your friendly neighborhood Google engine and we'll show up somewhere. Have a great week and we'll see you on the show. So according to Wikipedia, shoegaze, sometimes called dream pop, is a subgenre of indie and alternative rock that emerged in the United Kingdom in the late 1980s. It is characterized by its, I can't read that word, its mixture of obscure vocals, guitar distortion and effects, feedback and overwhelming volume. The term shoegaze was coined by the British music press to describe the stage presence of a wave of neo-psychedelic groups. 
who stood on stood still during live performances in a detached, intra, introspective, non-confrontational state with their heads down. This was because of the heavy use of effects pedals meant the performers were often looking down um, on their foot pedals. That's basically it. And there you have it. That is why they're staring at their feet. I get it. I get now it. Now we know. Yeah. Well, thank you for looking that up. Clearing <laughs> the confusion. All uh, right. But back to talking about Oasis. Um, their third album, Be Here Now. Um, I know it was highly anticipated, despite initially attracting positive reviews and selling strongly. The record was soon subjected to strong criticism from music critics and even Noel Gallagher himself because it was overproduced and bloated, apparently. Yeah, he's a big critic for his own work half the time. But the thing is, if every album that you see from Oasis, you see it's mixed reviews. They never get like a standout, unless it was what's the more what's the story Morning Glory, which I believe got rave reviews, but they always so, get subjected to mixed emotions. <laughs> so neither band was really a critic's darling. Like it was either one way or the other kind of thing. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's bizarre. I don't understand how media really kind of what's the word I'm looking for here? Like dissects music that effectively i mean what are they looking for exactly because oasis are consistent and have yeah. a continuous sound whereas blur tend to have a little more every song sounds a little different i mean it keeps within its genre but it you know it's kind of pushing the boundaries quite a lot so as, as the music industry are they looking for bands that are pushing the envelope or are they looking for bands that just have the same sound you know right exactly i always get excited reading um I was not really a massive Deftones fan, but I respect them a lot. And I know mm -hmm. that every single album tends to change its sound almost continuously. And the interesting part is the reviews every time. It's like, it could be good, it could be bad, it could be mixed, but at least mm -hmm. they're kind of developing with the times, you know? It's an interesting uh, thing to do as an artist is to choose to change your sound every time. I think it's helpful for you to express the different types of sounds you want to experiment with. Um, but I think it can cause confusion for your fan base, possibly, unless your fans are so diehard with what you do, they, they just want to come on that ride with you. It must be tough if you're touring your fifth album and each album's different. I mean, how do you do your set list? It's mm -hmm. like, I, I'm, I was a big fan of Slipknot and I love their softer stuff, but they would never play that live. From, never. From what I know. Maybe they do like a ballad in the middle or something, but... If I was going to see a Slipknot show and they said, we're just doing ballads tonight and we're doing our softer stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I'd be, I'd be disappointed. Like, I want to see psychosocial. I want to see duality. I want to see like some funky stuff. I don't see the reason why they couldn't mix it up for either band in, in either case. But I guess that's just a decision they decide to make when they craft a set list, what kind of show they want to present. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah, maybe sometimes it is easy to just stick with the same sound. I mean, Oasis probably have never changed too much from, from what they are. Yeah, and like Oasis with Liam and Noel, when was that last album that they did together? Was it back in the 90s? Was it Be Here Now? Or did they, did they part ways at that point? I think it was in the mid-2000s. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. did, did, did they break up? I mean, did... They go their separate ways and one person continued Oasis? I'm not quite sure. Because I, I mean, they were, they were releasing albums until like 2009 or something. I think that Noel continued as Oasis from what I understand, at least for a while until it just called it either just Noel Gallagher or I think he also created a band with a, 
proper name after that. There was, I don't know if it was Liam Gallagher or Noel Gallagher, but they had And the Flying Birds afterwards. Ah. I think it was uh, Liam Gallagher and the Flying Birds, which I think sounds ridiculous. I can check <laughs> it out. No, they talk about it now again. Um, oh yeah, Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. Yeah, what the f Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> it's funny recently, um, I forget which song, but I think Blur were doing something and they actually had um, Noel Gallagher on stage with them singing a song together. So it was Noel Gallagher and Damon Albin. Oh, wow. What a and moment that would be. Yes, I, th I think it was yeah, 2012 to 2016, around, around you know, fairly recently. And yeah. Liam Gallagher was kind of like, that fucking piece of shit my brother doing with Blur and blah, blah, blah. You know, there's a massive thing on Twitter. And he's like, I'm never going to never gonna forgive my brother after this. And they were already arguing as it was. I feel, I'm, well, I'm paraphrasing. I don't know the, the article, I'm afraid. But yeah. How, it's hard to say between Liam and Noel, which of them is holds grudges worse or who's the bigger asshole of the two <laughs> i really think it's liam probably from Red. probably like, the the reason as to why you had the battle of Britpop in 1995 we're going to go back a little actually um so oasis topped the charts um i think a couple months before or the year before with um i think it's some might say or whatever mm -hmm. um they topped the charts and then damon album went over to the party like the we we won first place party and went to congratulate liam and liam was kind of like you fucking shit band we're fucking number one look at us look at us get how amazing we are and then damon was like left furious and was kind of like well i guess and then he moved the release date to the same week and that's when he had country house versus roll with it he was like let's see who really is the best band and that's that's when that happened I'm surprised he had the power to, to change the release date. Maybe he yeah. talked to the record company and said, let's do this because it's going to make things more interesting. It's tough to say. I mean, I don't know. I don't know exactly what my source was with that. Because um, to be honest, do you really think the lead singer Blur will just go over to Oasis's house and congratulate them on number one? You think Damon <laughs> is that kind of guy? Do you think he was going no. to like, what do you think he was going to do? I mean, do you think he was just like, suck? He's a London boy. He probably was there sarcastically, not really there, supportive, but not really, you know, backstabby. He could have been like that. We don't know. 
very possible. Yeah. The last I heard of uh, Damon in the media, I think was, I, it might've been the Brit Awards, Reese, the last Brit Awards. Um, he went up and I think he accepted an award and he was smashed. Oh no. Pretty drunk. <laughs> I don't know what project he won for either. I don't think it was gorillas. No. He's been doing a lot of charity stuff too. Let me see. I'm going to search him and see what, what comes up on that. So, uh, all I searched on Google is Damon Alborn drunk. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds about right. Oh, yeah. Here it is. It happened in uh, 2018. Damon Alborn got trashed at the Brit Awards, forced to give acceptance speech. Um, he was accepting the award for best British group, and it was for the gorillas. Yeah. Yeah. What a guy. Yeah, what a guy. Seriously. I think he might be more successful internationally with gorillas than he ever was with Blur. See, I never know what makes it outside the UK and what doesn't. It's like when I moved to Sweden exactly. like five years ago, I couldn't believe half the stuff they were listening to here or that they mm. didn't know, you know. And then America is completely the same. I could only imagine like all the stuff that I grew up with. I realize not everyone knows it. I have a fascination with Sweden. There's a lot of things that come from Sweden that I enjoy. Uh, furniture. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, uh, Lego comes from Sweden, right? Denmark. Denmark. My bad. My bad. It's okay. It's, it's actually the town where it's from, um, Belund. It's close to Sweden when it comes to Denmark. So. Okay. Sorry, I didn't want to be ignorant on that, so I apologize. Not at all. I mean, if, if you drove from the southern point of Sweden to Belund, it would be like two hours. So you're two hours away, really. It's not, not too high. That's, that's nothing in Canada. That's like yeah. your neighbors. Like, that's nothing. Uh, it's hard for an act to tour this country in a bus because it's so massive to get yeah. anywhere. It takes forever. But back to what I was saying about Sweden the biggest thing for me is the pop music writing from Sweden is just outstanding. Max Rocks, Martin. Max Martin. Yes. Dennis Pop. Uh, tons of writers. Roxette is a big deal to me. Yeah. I was so sad when I heard that she passed away. Very much so. Very much. I was happy that I got to see them live twice. Oh, cool. Well done. They did, they did play My City twice, so that was really great. But, oh, yeah. They're, they're brill they were a brilliant band, Roxette. It's like growing up, um, my mom has only ever driven Volvos. She's a massive fan of ABBA. And um, yeah, and she always looked, she, she has like bright blonde hair. And it just looked like, I guess I was kind of always destined to come to Sweden in the end. Like, <laughs> yeah. My entire life was kind of pointing towards it, like Volvos and ABBA. So, and go. Ace of Base, of course. Ace of Base is a huge deal. Yeah massive here i didn't know actually i didn't know of ace of base until i came here really like I didn't know. yeah i didn't know there's too much going on in the uk <laughs> you have a very vibrant and fulfilling and huge music scene in the uk so i don't blame you at all and we and do I, we we tend to get a lot of that here too from you guys so well i guess the thing like what what are the biggest uk artists in past you know past the uk really Obviously, the Beatles and the Stones. Um, my my knowledge is a bit dated because I'm really stuck in the 90s in my head. I would say yeah. bands like Def Leppard were really big. Iron Maiden, of course. Iron Maiden, huge. 
I pretty much think it's the same bands that are huge for you. You think? Yeah. Kinda, yeah. How about White Snake? Fairly large, yeah. I think they had a big impact in the US too. I didn't even know they were British. That makes I'm pretty sense. sure they are. I'm pretty sure they are. Let me check. They actually well, did Coverdale, a gig in... Led Zeppelin. Coverdale Page, when they got together, um, that would maybe be part of the reason why. You yeah. never know. Yeah, British blues rock band. Yeah. There you go. Damn. David Coverdale. I feel like I need to put a disclaimer in this podcast, though, because I was born in 1994. Uh huh. So I was only around for like six years in the 90s. So I don't even think I have the rights to be on here. <laughs> really? Oh, it is fine, Ainsley. As long as, uh, you know, you represent the love for the music of that decade, that's what we're here for. <laughs> I would love to see you do a section um, where you interview someone who's like in their, like in their teens, like an 18 year old, who's never yeah. seen 90s fashion or heard a lot of the music. And you just like, see, you just show them, I don't know, in sync, <laughs> like a yes. classically like dated look and video and just see what they respond with, like a live reaction thing. <laughs> I know that there's a lot of those types of videos on YouTube. Yeah. People are getting kids to react to stuff that was big in their day. And it's, it's fun to watch. Um, I suppose there's a way we could do it in a podcast format. Just talk to a kid and be get them to review an album for you or something or maybe give them a handful of songs and give their opinion yeah that would be really funny that would be funny i know some I, kids are gonna get to do this this would be great yeah like my niece she's what 10 years old she's pretty uh articulate and uh intelligent and i think that i could ask her what she thinks and it would be hilarious what would you play <laughs> what do you would you say is so of the era in the 90s Oh, I'd go all over the map genre-wise. I'd probably play some some hard rock, maybe maybe some like super sick pop music too, like really bubblegum stuff. Aqua. Was that nineties? Oh yeah. Aqua's <laughs> a great Aqua's a great choice. I saw them not la no, last year's a complete write-off. It must have been the year before. Um they came and played the the, fest, the fair out here in my town of Edmonton. So they were they were wonderful live. Those those two have not aged. The two uh, lead. No, they haven't. They have not aged. Not Same with uh, cartoons as well. Cartoons. Remember, yeah, remember cartoons? No. They did uh, Witch Doctor. No, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning it. Got to add that to the to the grand artist list. They were ridiculous. <laughs> uh, let's stick with uh, Britpop, I guess. Um, well, specifically, <laughs> we off, it's normal for us to go off topic. It's just part of the flow of conversation. Okay, I'll squeeze one comment in quickly though, because I, sure. I you were trashing Billy Talent on the Van Halen episode, and I have to say I'm offended. Ah. I love oh, Billy Talent. <laughs> that's fine. Go ahead. Let me know what is it you like about Billy Talent the most. Uh, it's just uh, growing up as I mean, I was a teenager when I was listening to them. So kind of in, it was them, Papa Roach, um, Sum Forty One, Blink One Eighty Two, Plus Forty Four, Angels and Airwaves. Uh -huh. um, that kind of thing. Even there was a guy you would never have heard of him in the states called Little Chris. Okay. Um, he was a couple years older than me, and there was an MTV UK thing when um i think it was 
uh, one of the guys from Kiss was doing. We just went into a random school and mm-hmm. uh, he did rock school. So it was a bit like Jack Black in School of Rock. He went oh, in okay. and was like, "Let's let's see if we can make a band or something together." And this kind of like this kid who clearly wasn't doing well in class, Chris, who was like ADHD. Um, they basically gave him a microphone and got him to sing, and he was just phenomenal. So they set up like a four-piece band with this guy called Little Chris as the front guy. And he just did this massive song called Checking It Out. And it was huge. It was like the original Bieber, but like a kind of a punk rock pop Bieber. Really? Um, it was huge, that one track. And then he did a, a follow-up album, which hit okay. But then after that, it just nothing. You know, childhood star, basically. Yeah. Then he tried so hard to like start his own fashion label up. Um, that didn't go so well. And then he started going into acting and Broadway. And I think it was about two or three years ago, he killed himself. Oh, no. He said, I can't handle, like, the pressure. And, like, I don't know what to do with myself. And this depression is getting on me and stuff. Really sad. And the fact right. he was, like, a couple years older than me and he got famous, I was like, geez, fame is really not good for you at all. <laughs> like, it doesn't seem like it. It seems like... Uh... It takes a very special mindset to be able to handle it in the first place. But I think that the one thing that can keep you from becoming a statistic is the people you surround yourself with. Yeah. You have to have a good support system in place, I think, to be able to handle it. And that's where a lot of these stars have trouble is because they they run into people in their lives that just want to please them and not be real with them. Yeah. I also think it's we, we cope much better nowadays with um, we, we talk more about our feelings than we ever did. I think if, if, little, if people like Little Chris just kind of started 10, 15 years later when we are, people have conversations now, because there's, there's clips of this MTV UK thing on YouTube and it's like, he's a, like a bratty little kid that talks about like kissing loads of girls and, you know, that kind of machismo thing, mm-hmm. which if you did now just wouldn't sell. But like it was yeah. selling then, it was kind of this playboy kid, you know, like how cute is he kind of thing. Exactly. And it, you just scream like damaged, you know, damaged goods even then, which is a shame. Little Chris. No, wow. I yeah. didn't know his story. I'm glad you shared it. Crazy. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I go off yeah. topic. Already. That's okay. Um, yeah, but uh, Billy Talent is, uh, I'm actually surprised that their music has made it over to the UK. I thought they were pretty much a, Can- a Canadian only success story, but obviously not. I had no idea they were Canadian, to be honest. They sure are. <laughs> they, didn't put that, they didn't put that stamp on their music, you know? No. Who else do you have that's so good? I mean, Katie Tunstall, was she Canadian? No. I think she's from the UK then. And then you have... Um... She might be American. Oh, yeah? Celine yeah, Dion is I've Canadian. Got... Absolutely, yes. Yes. She's probably one of our most successful artists. Her, uh, Brian Adams is Canadian. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I think he pretty much lives in the UK now, though. Oh, yeah? He might still have a home in, in Canada somewhere, but uh, probably Vancouver if he does. I heard his name a lot growing up, so I guess he spent a lot of his time in the UK touring and stuff. He was huge. Mm-hmm. Yep, he's. Uh, he, I think he pretty much lives in in the UK now. Yeah. Um, but he's been touring his whole life on the road. Pretty like I don't think he really settles down except this year. Obviously, no one could. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i like that a lot of artists have been more interactive with their fans online and through uh, video chat and youtube channels and whatever mediums because 
there's no other way to do it right now. No. Yeah. I don't do any social media anymore. I had to give it up years ago because I just got too addicted and kept scrolling and refreshing and it was doing real damage to my like mental well-being. So yeah, and it takes up so much of your time too. Yeah, I can't do it. I mean, I just I just do my podcast the way I want to do and hopefully it just picks up a following for whatever reason. <laughs> just like being on you. Yeah. Well, the reason and to tell the people listening, the reason that you and I found each other is because I reached out on Reddit in one of the guest exchange uh, forums there and, and said, hey here's some artists. This is my podcast. If you want to talk about any of these or mention what you want to talk about, let's do it. And it's been great because I've found a few really great guests, including yourself. So, and we get to talk about each other's shows too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Reddit is all I have. I don't have anything else. So like that, but it's so, (laughs) it's so good. Reddit is a really good forum because I mean, it has, you just like type in something you're interested in. You join a group and there's people that are better than you and you're like, I want to be good, you know, not in just podcasting, but everything. Reddit, I, I'm, it scares me a little bit because it can be kind of dank sometimes too. Like it oh, can really? be a little, a little scary. Yeah. Like it, I don't know. There's, cause there's some pretty, excuse my language, fucked up shit on Reddit. <laughs> yeah, of course there is. But that's the funny part. I stay away from that side. Yeah. I think it's just like anything. If you look for where the screwed up shit is, you'll find it. <laughs> You're going to have to turn over many rocks. <laughs> excuse me but yeah um it's definitely an interesting platform i've found that um for my own mental health i need to spend less time on facebook of all platforms because you're just this this is where all this the keyboard warriors go to fight with each other and then you find out things about people that you don't you wished you never found out <laughs> the, the cool thing with me is the fact that i left the uk and barely and none of my None of my old friends kept in contact with me. Mm-hmm. So now that I'm completely off Facebook, I'm basically away from them entirely. I don't, I don't have any sort of social media. So anyone that I grew up with in school or knew, I don't talk to anymore. They're just completely gone. So I have like an entirely new life. <laughs> it's yeah. really cool. I don't need to be connected all the time. What's the point? I don't care. <laughs> and that's probably a very freeing feeling to have, not being worried about all these other people from the past. <laughs> yeah concerned with what they're up to it sucks when you want to have when you're trying to promote a platform like a podcast though because you need it i mean i was managing i was in a couple bands back home which is why i had facebook and social media exactly i was promoting my music but now i like now i'm like i don't have yeah okay i have my podcast to promote but it's like i I can't be bothered with half the time i'm just like refreshing on my feed and doing nothing even now i'm just like scrolling down and on spotify (laughs) don't tell me why when it comes to promoting things like your podcast promoting your band um i find that actually being on twitter and instagram is much more useful now than facebook ever was yeah or or i should say it should not ever was but i don't think people first of all event invites on facebook for a band are a joke because All they do is set you up for an expectation that will ultimately fail to be negative. Because if you're sending out Facebook event invites to your friends to show up to something, they either hit they're coming and then they don't show up. And then you kind of feel upset that they said they were coming. <laughs> yeah, I know you are waiting. My rule of thumb is um, if you set an event on Facebook um, and you invite loads of people, you take about 10% of the people that are coming to be the true number. And only if that includes the band members themselves. Precisely. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If Facebook event invites set you up for disappointment and half people don't even look at them anyway. So 
I don't need that. It's not, it's not effective. It's not effective. Not at all. I like the classic, um, just don't, I, I don't have a, I don't go on my stats, for example. I just do my content and send it out. I don't know if I'm, <laughs> could be big. I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. I think it's just better. Yeah. Because if I look now, it's just me putting stuff out and no one's watching. It's just disheartening. You have to do it in a way that makes you happy, though, and not frustrated. So, I mean, there are other ways to promote shows that don't involve frustrating yourself. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. just a matter of finding it. I personally enjoy doing the social media work for podcasts. I love putting together little stories on Instagram to promote the show, finding cool graphics, making up flashy stuff. That stuff I enjoy. So... I love doing the social media. And we've even set up a hotline now for the show that people can call in and leave us a voicemail. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I used to like social media too, but it just became too much. And I just need to step, step back. And to be honest, I've never regretted it. That's the thing though. It's gotta be what makes you happy. There's, there's ways of doing the pr promotion for the show that you don't have to like stress yourself out with social media. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I would say to, to wrap up the um, Blur versus Oasis feud on my final comments on that, I think that ultimately between the two bands, that the internal war between the Gallagher brothers was what sparked more interest in them than what Blur had. And al although I enjoyed the music of Oasis, I thought the bros themselves are kind of dicks, <laughs> especially yeah, exactly. to each other. Um, where I, I, the fresh-faced Damon Albarn got my attention at a young age, and I, I, I thought their music was happy and fun and interesting. Blur. Yeah. So, so I would never choose between the two bands myself because I think they both have the qualities that make them attractive or maybe not so attractive. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I do think ultimately Oasis was more successful because of the uh, media attention. And the consistency, I would say. I, I find the music to be quite consistent. Each track is, you know what you're buying. You know, you buy an album from Oasis, you know what you're getting. Blur, yeah. it fluctuates, I think. I mean, I loved Country House. I don't know why people think it was a shit song. I think it was hilarious. I liked it. I thought it was catchy as hell. Yeah, I liked it the intro. Like... Just that semitone going down. And the bridge of it's neat, where they kind of do like that queen pose in the video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. The strange part around that time, so 95, um, Graham Coxon, um, he, he, you can see him in the music video. He's not really happy about being there and he was a real pain in the ass on set. Mm -hmm. But as well, when, when Blur were really, really peaking and they were peaking partially for the feud of Oasis and it wasn't really the band he wanted to be a part of. And there's a quote saying that, I think they were staying in a hotel on the top floor at some point and he was very close to jumping out the window. He's very like, he's, like he said he was extremely close to just to doing that and that kind of caught wind in the media and then that made him even more famous i think that was like one of the fa most famous stories that blur ever did really yeah it was graham coxon hmm. i hadn't heard that no so ultimately between the two bands would you which band would you choose i'm, I'm right now i'm in a big blur kick because i haven't heard half of their music until recently and now i'm like digesting it and it's just really interesting but i can guarantee this phase will probably like wear off within a couple of months and i'll be back to oasis until i hear boys and girls again and then fall in love with blur and i think it really is to, to your mood isn't it what are you really, I agree. really interested in 
I agree. I agree completely. I think Good. like I said, there's something to be found that's enjoyable with, with both groups. And I think that they gave us quite a bit of entertainment in 95 with the whole, uh, who can sell more records? <laughs> Which image do you prefer though? Oh, blur. You did the By kind far. of pretty boy London thing. I guess that's yeah. a big thing to export, isn't it? Yeah. I thought that they were more aesthetically interesting than Oasis. And I think it's just, I don't know. I, I think Oasis were more of like plain boys to me, just kind of straight ahead rock and roll. They didn't really like have much of a, an original image to say. I thought they just looked like rock boys. I don't, I didn't see anything. Blur, Blur had more interesting like videos. Um, and yeah, they were pretty. So, yeah. But Liam Gallagher was pretty too. They were both pretty. In their own ways, I think. Um, you can see why they didn't get along because they look totally different, which is strange to think they were both in the same category of Britpop, which I'm pretty sure they weren't really happy about, especially Oasis later on. Yeah, I was wondering if Oasis would have an ish take issue with being called pop to begin with. I, I can see it. I mean, the Beatles, which they're heavily influenced by, and you can hear it, they, they were considered to be pop then, which is the pop has changed its sound throughout the years. But that is... You know that kind of that kind of sound but when the thing is with blur is like there to me when they went to the america into america after Britpop, i feel that Britpop became a little bit famous in america afterwards because mm -hmm. they released song two which i thought was huge in america yes it was it was there i forgot about that song that would have yeah. been their biggest not like hit them, internationally it? not at all not at all and i mean it was catchy and fun but that's not a song that i want to sit around and listen to that was it's, like it's three. a song if you want to jump around at a party that's when the grunge really hit them influence wise for them mm -hmm. yeah i think they really just wanted to get back to the states after this brit pop battle and i think that that's a really great entrance to it was to write something like that compilation album in Canada called Big Shiny Tunes that was put out by our music video station at the time, which was called Much Music. And Big Shiny Tunes would come out yearly. And that was a huge song on that compilation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that really I got them on the radio and got them on the uh, on the Much Music station. They were playing them constantly. Have you ever considered doing a Radiohead episode? It's something I've considered, yes. Mm, I love those guys. Consistently yeah. listening to them and Oasis and Blur and just that sound I really, really like. And obviously Nirvana. Yeah, um, yeah, I definitely consider doing a Radiohead episode. If that's something you'd be interested in being a part of too, we could talk about that in a few months. That could work. I'll have yeah. to do some more research. Um, you I mean, got some time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, the thing is, my being born in 94, I don't really know the lines between 90s and 2000s. It's like, I'm a big Linkin Park fan, but that was a little later. 
But well, then you know what? Chris Cornell as well from like Soundgarden and stuff. I'm, I'm a massive Chris Cornell fan. I yeah. love Chris Cornell. And when the grunge movement was actually happening, I was not impressed and didn't want a part of it. I didn't appreciate it until it was over. That's normally the case with movements, isn't it? I think it's because I was really enjoying where music was and then they came along and ripped it away. Yeah. Uh, and I did not like Nirvana at all. I, wow. I get it. I get them now. I don't listen to them. I just, they don't appeal to me. It was, I was more into Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. Yeah. That I, I like their sense of melody and hook and I like their guitars and I liked uh, the harmonies that Alice in Chains sing because they're very intricate and difficult to do. Those bands appealed to me much more than Nirvana did. But yes, I think that grunge, grunge just pissed me off when it happened. <laughs> and then when it was gone, then I was starting to, my tastes were starting to change a bit and I was more open to things. For me, it's the evolution of punk, which is interesting because my girlfriend's a little over 10 years older than myself and she's used to like, um, I don't know, Ramones, Smashing Pumpkins and things like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know Smashing Pumpkins are considered punk, but it, it's of that. And then for me, like new, newer age pop punk, like um, all, all Time Low or um, yeah, mm -hmm. even in Blink-182, some Green Day, mm -hmm. like kind of pop punk was more like my thing and she and some 41. Yeah. And she's like, she can't get into it because it's like, this isn't what punk is or what it was. These are like pretty boys trying to It's pop music. Sound. Yeah. Yeah. To her. It's exactly yeah which i get um but the, the i mean this, the same thing's gonna happen to me in a couple like many years time when i like what are you listening to I was like, oh this is punk like, that's not punk mm -hmm. <laughs> send them around I'll show, track you or punk. Something. <laughs> I'll show you punk yes do you so, okay i don't know how old you are i'm 42 um mm -hmm. i feel that around 35 maybe i mm -hmm. stopped i think there's a phenomenon where you kind of stop Stop listening to new music, almost. Not everyone does it. Uh, we're, I have no idea what the top 40 is anymore. I am so much, I'm, I'm becoming that old person who's like, my, back in my day, music was better. I think around 2014, I kind of stopped. I got kind of behind like dubstep, like Skrillex. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Skrillex and Corn did an album together, which was phenomenal. That was the last amazing thing that I'd listened to. Oh. And then obviously when I left the UK, I mean, I stopped listening to any radio. Like my mm -hmm. my mum used to play radio all the time, but it was like throwbacks. Um, so, I mean, yeah, so I'm, I'm 26. But the thing is, like, I, I, I haven't really listened to popular music for a long time. Even when I was like maybe 20 just before I was like around 20 when I was in like clubs and there was club music. But even then, now I don't listen to that. The bars I was in and working at were basically playing like 90s stuff or 2000s. So I have no idea what's being played now. I don't really want to know either. It's not interesting I, to me. I, I just, there's a few artists, I don't want to be negative. There's a few artists that I enjoy that are current, but I think the reason I do is because they have a throwback sound to them. Mm-hmm being people like Lady Gaga, Bruno Mars, these yeah. people, you know what I mean? And uh, they still make what I consider traditional pop music. I don't get Billie Eilish. I don't get it. I don't I, get it. She's, she's huge and I respect her 
because she's obviously very talented. So no disrespect, but I don't get the obsession with her songs and such. I need a hook. I need a big melody. <laughs> and her songs are more basically, I don't know. Maybe I'm not in a good position to judge when I haven't actually sat and listened to one of her albums in full, right? Yeah, for me, like, it was around about a year ago, and uh, I had, like, a setting on Spotify which told me what my friends were listening to. And my friend was listening to Billie Eilish, and I looked just, like, looked at her picture and was like, oh, she can't be big. She Look at her. She can't, she can't be a huge success. She looks like someone who was, like, maybe in the... I, I felt like she was English to begin with. I thought okay. her look and style was like, oh, she's... Yeah, kind of washed out, hippie-esque, English, new, young girl. And then yeah. all of a sudden I hear she's doing the Bond theme tune and she's from the States. And I'm like, what the... F I didn't have no idea. I didn't understand yeah. the capacity of, of, of her size, you know. I think that I would have to sit and listen to an album before I'd be in any position to make my statements about her. I, but like I said, she's talented. She's good at what she does. It's just the songs that I don't don't seem to appeal to me at this time. Yeah, I mean, she's clearly a musical genius. I mean, she's huge, and she has yeah. supposedly an amazing album. But to me, it's like the Bond theme tunes and stuff. I can't imagine anyone following up after Adele. I mean, yeah. Adele did amazing. And she's, she's in the States now. She's like, she did SNL uh, recently. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> did you watch it? Yeah, I did. And it's her Essex accent as well which just plays <laughs> so well with the SNL crew because it's so not them. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't quite fit perfectly, which is what makes it so funny. She's known for being hilarious, though. Like, I, I thought it was a good fit to have her on SNL as host. I'm a real big fan of uh, Bill Burr and, like, Dave Chappelle mm -hmm. and such. So I haven't seen their SNL sketches recently. I've saw, like, the monologues, <gasps> but not the full oh, yeah. ones. Oh, yeah. The sketches are good, too. Uh, especially Chappelle's I liked a lot because I was a big fan of Chappelle's show back in the day. How was, um, it was uh, Pete Davidson did a Stan cover <laughs> uh, about Chris, about uh, Santa Claus, right? And Eminem really had some. Well, really well done. Really yeah. well written rap too. I think even Eminem had said afterwards that he was actually more impressed with it than he probably thought he was going to be. And yeah, and Eminem's in it right at the very end. Yeah. I would really love, I don't know if Eminem was around in the 90s. I believe he probably was. Tail, tail end, I believe. I think, no. he's, I think he started up uh, the real Slim Shady or, no, not that song. Hi, On My Name Is. My Name Is, I think, was the first hit single. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to guess that that was probably 99 or 2000. Ah, okay. Somewhere in there. I haven't heard stuff. I just released a music video called Flea. I think it's called Flea, something like that. I still haven't caught up. Well, like I said, I have no idea what's no. the talk right now, but that's on me. And that's why I make a podcast about the 90s because that's yeah. what I love. Stick and to what you is. know. Stick to what I know.
you so much, Ainsley, for t discussing all things Blur and Oasis. I absolutely had a great time chatting with you. And uh, check out his podcast, once again, Price Tag Podcast, as well as Reject and Serve. Both podcasts available on all major platforms. Next week, we are chatting with, for the very first time, a country artist from the 90s. In fact, it's going to be a two-parter episode because I got to talk to two out of the three ladies who formed the group Farmer's Daughter. And that starts up next week on the show. So you guys take care until then. Be safe. Bye. Hey, kids, put down that Tamagotchi and listen for a second. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at NostalgiaDope, Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. Visit our website at www.dopenostalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.